Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of Sustainability Now right here on your community radio station, Forward Radio. We are WFMP LP Louisville broadcasting from the historic Habern building at 106.5 FM and we live stream to the world. You can find podcast versions of our shows as well, all at forwardradio.org. My name is Justin Mogg and I'm excited to welcome you all to the program today. Quick note before I introduce our guest for the day, I want to thank everybody who contributed to this station during our recent pledge drive. It was thanks to all of you generous donors who helped us get to our goal of $5,000 to keep us on the air for another year. Uh, this is listener-supported community radio, and we really couldn't do it without you, so I want to wholeheartedly thank everybody who stepped up to the plate over the last couple weeks and folks who came out to our talent show and bought a ticket to our talent show on Saturday, too. That was a ton of fun. Well, speaking of talent and arts, <laughs> I'm excited to talk about the arts today and structural racism within the arts community uh, with my special guest today, Marlisha Woods, a native Louisvillean who's a visual and teaching artist. Welcome to the virtual studio, Marlisha. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate you having me today. Thank you. Yes. What spurred me to get in touch with you and, and get this show going was a really interesting story map that uh, came out in December from Root Cause Research Center. So if folks want to uh, play along at home and, and, and check out this story map while they're listening to the conversation, you can find it at rootcauseresearch.org. And we will include a link to it as well in the show notes on the podcast version. The story map is called Art Embodied, Immeasurable Paint, uh, about Louisville, Kentucky, a city plastered in paint. What does it reveal about the racial wealth gap? And when I saw that title and started diving into it, I was like, oh, this is going to be a fantastic conversation for the program because, boy, it really opens up a, a new way of looking at the arts and looking at our city and thinking about uh, these kinds of issues. And so uh, t tell us about yourself, Marlisha, and how you got involved involved in Root Cause Research Center and, and put this story map together? Well, Justin, I'm an interdisciplinary artist. I'm a teaching artist. And as you can see, I engage sometimes in community research as well and do a bit of writing. So when it comes to Root Cause Research, I was asked to, to consider engaging in this community research. Um, Jessica Bellamy reached out to me and I was hesitant at first. I'm like, I don't know. But I decided to go ahead and dive in and talk about a particular areas that I hold dear, which of course is the art sector. So had you done something like this kind of a project before? No, I've never created a story map before. However, I don't think anyone that works in a particular industry is detached from the realities, you know, so it wasn't far fetched for me to pull data because I can tell you what I live, right? So I live right. in that <laughs> sphere uh, and I nerd out on my own when it comes to documentaries and and I'm a strong fan of social epidemiology. And so public health and public art have always been fascinating to me. So this was right up my alley. Wow. And and you you mentioned you're an interdisciplinary artist. Has that always been the case? Or have you sort of started in one field and grew into that? At one point, it was just mainly visual arts. But then I started redefining what art was. And so interdisciplinary is the best phrasing, to say the least. Uh, so that's what I choose to yeah. And do you find new ways of expression as you start 
crossing some of these disciplines. Uh, t- tell me what it's like to think about things from the eyes of an artist. You know, I was I, I loved drawing in high school and thought maybe one day I'd be an artist and I totally fell off my radar of things. So I don't even know what it's like to, to live in that world now. But tell us what it's like from your perspective to see the world through the eyes of an artist and then try and uh, reflect some of your concerns and observations through art. So for like a visual representation, if you go to Rukal's research page, where it talks about the expo and the story map that was created in regards to the arts, uh, I created some process art. So process art, essentially, we could care less about the end result, right? This is not create a painting, create a mural, create a portrait, but the end result to give away or to sell. This is solely for the purpose of process to really engage at the time real-time method, methodology, right? And so I'm creating the concept of the story map during the expo. We had, you know, pre-recorded the Curtis Creative. And so I'm sitting here and I have this white canvas, right? This white canvas represents the city of Louisville in terms of the art industry, because typically it's very much more whitewashed and there's not too many black and brown people engaged. Racially identified minorities are typically not in the forefront of conversation let alone in the forefront of leadership. Mm. And so I chose to have various canvas set on easels at the margins, right? And so as I'm placing this, this is a visual representation of what we we in real time are seeing in our city. It's whitewashed and you've got black person here, brown person over there, you know, racially identified minorities are scattered here and far few between in terms of leadership, in terms of racial wealth gap, what we're talking about is economic equity, right? Like you're not, you're not getting that, but you will see black and brown faces in a mural or or in public art. So really there's this idea, this contradiction that we could be included in art in terms of a narrative told for us, not necessarily by us. So I was Mm. explaining that through the process art, right? And so the more I kept pouring paint out onto this white canvas, of course, the saturated colors, the more vibrant it is, it's more interesting. And so when someone says, what does this look like when we talk about equity in the arts? Simply put, we can go stoic and very cold and very isolated and very fragmented in the beginning, but everyone has their own place and you stay on the margins, or we can bring everybody into this conversation. Mm. And the end result of that particular canvas was an abstract piece of art and it was full of color. Hmm. It was lively, right? And so if this is what we want our community to look like, that was just a representation of that. So that's like through an art lens, how we can speak about the intersections of public art and public health and all these other areas that um, don't always get the, the limelight. I thought that was really interesting what you said about focusing less on the product and more on the process. And I wonder if that means you think differently about the audience. And I don't know how how a visual artist especially thinks about the audience, but I know there is concern about trying to address the white gaze, right? <laughs> and and so I wonder if your process art approaches the audience differently or thinks about your audience differently. Of course. I mean, in the teaching arena, if you're speaking to a particular group, then you kind of use, you know, you meet people where they are. You use the language that is most familiar, most comfortable. Um, when you're speaking about process art in this particular instance, I did not choose to think of a certain sector of community. I'm thinking of community as a whole, mm. right? The entire city of Louisville, 
let's just talk about it in a very germane way where anyone can connect with it. Uh, I don't believe that you can create as an artist and be separate, right? Like, so here's your art and then here's you, right? Your art is a byproduct of you. Right. And so when I'm speaking about community, I'm not speaking at the community. I'm speaking with the community. It's not as clinical as what would sometimes be like an academic paper that's very qualitative, quantitative data in the end. We're talking about people and not necessarily numbers. And so that's reflected in the art. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. All right. Well, let's let's dive into some of these uh, issues that you wrestle with, and and certainly trying to build community through art is a part of this. But tell me about what the impact of this community research had on you, and and some some reflections now that you've had some time to process it. What what's been the impact? Well, I am yet processing <laughs> the research, and, and, and that is why the data report has not come out, but I'll go ahead and let you know. I haven't told anybody the release date, but that's May 1st, so they can hear first from you. May 1st, the report will be out. Um, I've decided to step away. The report's been sitting and is ready to you know roll out to some degree, but the more I looked at the data that was found, there's so much humanity in it. It's really easy to just to go throw out a report and Ta-da, this is what it is. But when we're talking about the racial wealth gap, we're talking about trauma. You know, we're talking about people and sometimes their abilities to interact in certain disciplines and not even understand, you know, how art can be weaponized. And sometimes they know, right? Like, so there's this accountability piece. And I wanted to make sure and very sure that uh, I had all, you know, the information that I needed to you know, move forward and really process that because when I'm looking at it, you know, sometimes like it's like a train wreck. You don't want to <laughs> see it, but you saw it and I can't unsee can't it. Can't unsee it. <laughs> um, but and, and the goal for the research is to, to create change, right? To create more uh, equitable spaces. The idea to just talk, right? Talk is cheap, right? So I'm not interested <laughs> in, you know, there's been a lot of uh, media coverage and that's wonderful and, and everything. But my end goal when I started from the inception to now is to create more equitable spaces for people to uplift narratives that have been lost to make sure that people feel like they can be included in conversations that they have been shunned away from, or maybe thought, well, no, I'm not a researcher. Mm. No, I'm not, you know, I'm not academic or mm. uh, I've never been classically trained. I don't really know the language. And so therefore somehow I'm not valid in this discussion, but you are. Right. And so you need to be centered in the conversations that are about your community because they affect you and everyone around you. Yeah. Well, I'd like to dive into the story map art embodied a little bit just to give some mm -hmm. concrete things for people to get our listeners to get in their mind as they're thinking about this. And, and, and really a main point of the, the story map is that Louisville art funders, which include taxpayers, right? I don't know how, how much people are aware of how art gets funded in our city, but Louisville Metro government does fund some public art. And the point is that there's structural racism in the way that those art dollars are allocated, right? And and this is something that, you know, I think a lot of us who are, you know, a little bit plugged in can imagine is going on, but we don't understand the mechanics of how that works. So talk to us about how uh, these art funders are locking out black artists and what some specific examples of that have been. All right. Well, just to state, this is the types of research or the type of research and how I navigated around this 
I wanted to get voices from community members. And so I interviewed several individuals, right? Um, and as I began to interview, little by little, right near the end, people that were gung-ho said, oh no, I, I don't think I'm gonna engage, uh, I gotta go, you know. Uh, they decided that they didn't want to participate and many yeah. just didn't want to be vulnerable. They didn't want to necessarily engage because they felt like there might be backlash or whatever. And I totally I respect their position. There's no slight, no harm. I understand like when, like I stated, this research is not just a bunch of numbers and data points on the map. In the end, these pe people, me, you, all of us, when we engage in research, you still go home in real time and have realities, right? You still have to go to work the next day yeah. and face, you know, people that may not like what you have said, even if it's true. So that was something that was a nuance for me. And to be able to understand that everyone's, you know, may not have the abilities at this time to engage in all of the conversations in the forefront, but they're still, you know, in the background, in their own way, in their own sphere, trying to make change. So the story map, for instance, an example, of hiring practices when we talk about the racial wealth gap mm. we talk about gatekeeping right so yep. like who gets to survey what is art like the, just defining what art is street art graffiti murals mm. you know when we speak of that you know there's so many different ways that art has been defined and it's typically not by racially identified minorities and so one person can create but if you're sending off for an RFP and your art doesn't necessarily look what is considered deemed by a predominant group as what you know is articulated as art, then all of a sudden you're five, 10 years in, uh, creating is down the drain, right? Like, so you can be a professional artist, but depending upon how you create, if it's proficient enough, right? You may or may not even be included in conversation because it's, it's not a Eurocentric art. So that's just an example when it comes to the panel process, right? How often, when you go into a job that's outside of the art sector, it can be any other discipline, right? So you give your resume, there may be some letters of recommendation, which I, I have a whole nother spill on why I don't agree <laughs> with letters of recommendation. That's, a, that's another conversation. But when it comes to someone looking at your resumes, typically one person is you and this HR uh, rep and you, you know, may get the job, may not get the job, the end. You're hoping that the process is equitable. When you fill out the application, they typically say that your opportunity, you know, everything is supposed to be EEO, you know, it's always supposed to be compliant. And you just hope that you had a fighting chance. Yeah. Well, in the art community, when you're submitting proposals, typically there's a panel. Now, you would like to think that that panel is reflective of you. Right. Like yeah. there's somebody in, the, in that space that is, is of your people group. Right. But if you happen to have, you know, Louisville, I consider to be a large city, but in many ways, it's very small. And so some of the art organizations, they're interconnected and the boards are interconnected and there's a lot of overlap. And so someone that may be submitting a proposal and let's just say they're a Latinx person. Mm. Well, there's no one that is representative of their group. Right. And it's a completely whitewashed panel. And so their art might speak in a different way that, you know, they're not used to. So then the question is, is this good enough? Is this art? Is this valid? Right. And so you have to jump through all these hoops and hurdles to prove 
that yes, it, it is valid. And a lot of times people just don't penetrate those barriers essentially because they don't fit into whatever mold the panel believes to be yeah. um, as you know acceptable art. And if the panel is all white panel or you know one particular group panel, then there's a level of being blindsided, right? Tunnel vision. You only see a certain monolithic view. And that doesn't mean like the whole panel thinks like just because they're all white, but there is a nuance from diversity, right? Like that's the whole goal is to have more people in the room that think different, walk different, talk different. They, you know, you have different fields of vision. So nothing is missed. But a lot of times that's not always the case. And so people don't necessarily get those shots. Yeah. My guest today here on Sustainability Now is Marlisha Woods. She's a visual and teaching artist, a native to Louisville, who has been a part of a wonderful story map called Art Embodied, Immeasurable Paint, Louisville, Kentucky, a city plastered in paint. What does it reveal about the racial wealth gap? You can find it at rootcauseresearch.org. And we're talking about Louisville's art community and how you can use art to build community, but there's still these issues of structural racism and, and racial wealth gap that per, you know pervade everything in our city, including the way art is funded. I wonder if we could talk about a specific example and, and how it relates to, to human erasure in the art industry and, and, and gentrification. And that, that specific example is one I ride my bike to, uh, ride my bike by every day on my way to work. And it's right there, uh, at 900 South Shelby street, uh, at Shelby and Breckenridge, right? Um, this is a, a, a giant mural. You can't miss it of, uh, of breastfeeding in Smoketown, right? T tell us about this mural and, and how you see it when you look at it and what it means to you. Well, of course, art is in the eye of the beholder and everything is not always going to align. Everyone's not going to see everything and express there It's going to be interpreted differently. But as an identifying African-American woman, immediately when I saw the image, I saw the exaggerated nose, the exaggerated mm. mouth, the facial features. And I was like, okay, someone, some person <laughs> is trying to paint you know, a minority, probably just a black person. This is definitely supposed to be a black or African-American person or someone that's of African descent. But then my first inclination without even knowing, you know, any of the backdrop, my presumption was it wasn't an African-American artist. Mm. I could tell immediately, like, I, I, like, you know, this is, this is, an, this is an African-American painting an African-American. I immediately could tell that this was a story that was to some degree, like when you're in school and you're writing a paper and it's a group project and the teacher knows that one person that did all the work, right? And, the, uh, and everybody else is like, but I contributed. And he's like, did you really? Because this one voice is shining through, right? So the voice that was shining through to me didn't uphold something that would be of uh, the people group. So I immediately just assumed that it's as many cases that it's a story that is told for us instead of by us. Right. And after that assumption, because assumptions are not very good, right? Like it's a precursor to uh, error, right? So <laughs> I decided to take my thought patterns and address those with, you know, make sure that I was not missing any pieces to the puzzle and I dug a little deeper and it was true, right? Huh. It's, it's an African-American person, a racially identified minority person did not create that work. 
but it's supposed to be representative of minority women. So there's a, a limitation that can be made um, simply by trying to tell a narrative that's not your own um, missed opportunity, because as we know, the city of Louisville, again, is not very small. There's plethora of artists, African-American artists galore, um, don't necessarily have to be an African-American. There are plenty of black and brown people that are highly talented, competent, capable. You know, this is not a competency issue. I've said this before, I'm gonna say it again. It's not, right? This is an access, this is an access issue. Uh, and so there were so many voices that have uplifted that particular narrative and gave context that uh, the artists could not give, yeah. even at the best attempt. And that wasn't necessarily uh, the case. So the end result essentially took a human, which at the time when I saw the artwork, I assumed that the person was a figment of imagination, yeah. right? This is just, a, you know, this is just some idea of, you know, black breastfeeding and it was painted on the top of the building. But the more I, you know, trailed back some articles and, and whatnot, I found out that this is not a figment. This is not a character. This is the actual person that lives on the East Coast in New Jersey, I believe. And so, yeah, the person uh, I spoke with, the lady, her name was Stephanie Spears. And after I discussed some things with her and she expressed, you know, how the process went, it was very clear that there was a lot of missed opportunities. And um, some of this has been discussed through the expo, but definitely it will, you know, wrap up in a data report. But essentially, when you drive by, let's just, we're going to flip it real quick, Justin. When, when, when you drove by, when you're driving by on your bicycle and you look up, have you ever noticed a plaque with this lady's name on it? Stephanie Fierce? Have you seen any signage at all that leads you to the original human, the person, no. the inspiration? No. Because it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. So when you look at it, like many pieces of art in the city, would you just assume that this is some type of drafted drawing of an ideal mm -hmm. of a person? For sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, so there's nothing that <laughs> brings this person to life. Even in the articles, I believe there's four or five articles that are written, and only one of those articles cite the original source, which the Huffington Post, um, they decided to create like a, a montage of black breastfeeding. It was you know, elevating that topic, and it was years ago. Now, it cited the article in a hyperlink, I believe, but it never mentioned the person's name again. So we're talking about erasing the humanity, right, to the point where the person's lost. We don't know if this is this a real person. Is this a cartoon character? Did you just dream this up? Um, obviously, people that are not familiar with the city of Louisville and don't have the visual uh, depiction in their mind, although I said, looking at it immediately, the facial features, they seem like they were the stereotypical for an African-American person. However, the skin tone is blue, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. like, you know, without that context too, people were like, you know, what is going on? So even throw, throwing in another layer of ambiguity, you wouldn't understand really what is this? Is this a person? Uh, is this a person in the community? Maybe this is some mother that's done some activist work or something and we want to uplift her. Nope, that's not the case. This is not a person from Kentucky. Uh, and because of that, it's also problematic because when I spoke to the mother, Stephanie Fierce, which does have a name, right? She has a real identity. Wow. Um, her daughter's on the side of the building as well. Um, she wasn't aware of how she was perceived because she's not here, right? So she's on the East Coast. She had no clue that she was stripped away to the point where people didn't know her name. People didn't know the original narrative. 
people did not know that that was actually her real child, right? She told me her child, McKenna, you know, she's telling me all these things. And so it was really easy to repackage and resell a person because again, this wasn't a, a volunteer effort. This was a mural that was paid for um, through a mural festival. And so the commodification of black people, brown people, we've done this, seen this before um, over and over and over again, where it's really easy to paint us. We're replicated and erased at the same time. Mm. So in culture, we're constantly repeated, right? In music and entertainment, this is not, this is not new. Mm. You know, I tell people I'm not new black. Like and most people I know, then you know, I didn't wake up and I just here I am. Like I've been here all along. I understand what it looks like to be replicated and literally erased from a platform at the exact same time. And so she didn't know. She assumed that people knew that she was real, uh, that she mattered. Like her narrative that was given to the Huffington sure. Post. Which she, she loved that opportunity to uplift. She's an activist herself. None of her quotes were even included right. in any of the articles. Her name wasn't included. So it was very clear in the city of Louisville at until now, <laughs> no one seemed to care about the source. Hmm. It was about extracting what the source had to offer to uplift a new concept. Um, the concept I believe is supposed to speak about minorities and bless, uh, breastfeeding and uh, black maternal health yeah. in Smoketown. Yeah. Right. And so like that's the repackaging is to talk about single mothers in Smoketown. Yeah. But then that also is very reductive because, you know, is the question is, is she a single mother? Like, you know, is she poverty stricken? And, you know, there's all of these stereotypes that were imparted on her. She's one she didn't even know about until I spoke to her and actually like gave her articles. I'm like, this is what huh. is really being said about you. And she's like, oh, no one told me like, wow. oh, OK. Um, so I don't know if you're a parent. And honestly, it doesn't even matter like anyone that's listening. Just imagine. You know, it's really easy to say you don't understand or you can't connect because you're not a part of a people group. And I think that's a problem when people say, I don't understand. It doesn't impact me. It's not, you know, it's not about me. It doesn't affect me. Well, let's pretend that it's you, right? Just enter yeah. yourself now. And let's just pretend that you and your dear loved ones happen to be a part <laughs> of a really cool article, right? And so you took a cool photo, you had some quotes, you walked away feeling empowered. And then a couple of years later, someone got inspired by your face. And then I happened to draw your face on a large scale, let's just say, put on the side of the building. And I decided to give you a whole new name, new narrative, paint you green, blue, maybe purple, and repackage you. <laughs> and then I decided to do it again and sell your image off in a local boutique and don't give you any of the proceeds. <laughs> and no one knows that you're real and don't lose sleep about it. You know, wow. business as usual. That's that's one of the examples of how easy it is to take humanity and strip it away, depending upon who the person is or what people group it is, and just do what you need to do to get business done. Um, and that's the danger of operating in a whitewash system when when you really only have a certain group of people and a certain you know narrative being told by a certain group of people. Opportunities are missed. True opportunities to build community are missed. And that's very um, clear in that example. Well, Marlisha, I have to thank you and honor you for helping me and now my audience see this giant mural in a whole new light. I'm never going to look at it the same again, thanks to you. Uh, and and like you say, these 
these issues need to not just be swept under the rug, but addressed publicly. And that's why I'm trying to do it today here on Sustainability Now. My guest is Marlisha Woods, a visual and teaching artist who's native to Louisville. And we're talking about the story map she was involved in creating with Root Cause Research Center. It's called Art Embodied. You can find it at rootcauseresearch.org. And you can find out more about Marlisha at Marlishart. It's all one word. <laughs> she shares the A at the end, M-A-R-L-E-S-H-A-R-T on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so that's an example of how to do it wrong. <laughs> I wonder if you could paint us a picture, right, of uh, some examples of how to do it better. Maybe not perfect, but how would we do public art better than that? I think there are some examples of murals in Smoketown, even, that do it better, right? I'm sure that there are murals all around the city that, you know, people took the time and the effort to really think it through. A lot of times when funding is dropped, it's it's one of those quick time, you know, the the money's there, the grant needs to be allocated and you know, the RFP process may be something that is not even uh, logical in terms of everyone getting access to that information, right? So you put out an RFP, people may know in about two weeks or so, only the same circle of people, right? Because that's usually how it works. <laughs> someone on an email list, someone on a contact list, and next thing you know, you see the same artist doing the same work over and over again all around the city, which also, again, speaks to the racial wealth gap. Right. Because, again, these girls are not free. This is not a volunteer work. So what, what you have is not only missed opportunity and we have this economic divide, but when, when we can do it, I guess, better, right? Like you said, not perfect, but better to include more voices. I mean, if this is a public, there's different, you know, if it's a public space versus a private space, if this is funded by an owner of a building versus it, are these tax dollars, was the community involved? And I'm not talking about a handful of people that you randomly knocked on their door and said, hey, what do you think about this? A cart before the horse, you know, the, it's halfway done. And you're like, well, what do you think? Well, it's too late now. Honestly, I wasn't a priority for you to ask in the first place. Like, so you're asking mm-hmm. me after the fact, right? Like, this is very telling. Sometimes now what you say is what, what has not been said or what's delayed, right? Even when it came to that particular mural, it was already drafted up. You know, she was asked about the image kind of like after the fact, Yeah. you know, right. You know, so that's a part of it as well. She didn't understand or did not know rather begin, of course, not in the city of Louisville, that also it was multiple. It was a mural festival. So there was various artists there. Right. And had she, she said, you know, had she known that it was a white woman painting her, there would have been immediate questions because it's like, you know, was there someone else? Why, why am I blue? Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on, you know, with that particular part. Could you explain that to me? Could I be a part of the process? Can I tell you how I I want to be replicated? Like, I want my image to look more realistic or, you know, whatever the case may be. But allowing people to be in the forefront of how the city, I guess, is shaped in in terms of the arts. You alluded to, like, the gentrification piece and and things of that nature, right? Like, so some would say that, that particular reality is looming over the city and in certain pockets, right? So Smoketown is one of those pockets oh, that right sure. now, some would say gentrification is a reality. Others would say, nah, they're, you know, air on caution and we'll just say it's a possibility. Um, I always detour to, if you don't know if it's real or not, just ask the people that are displaced, yep. right? You go find some people that no longer are residing in certain spaces or are pushed out of certain spaces. 
and then our question marks are more, you know, the resolve. Just actually find someone, find some group of people that have that story, and then we don't have to have these questions anymore, right? But to even explain that to her, you know, not being from the city, she was like, oh, I didn't know that that was a potentially, you know, gentrified area. That changes everything. Yeah. Because you plastered my face on the side of this building now. So then the question is, who is it for? Because right. if it's supposed to uplift, you know, maybe particularly black and brown people or single mothers that are African-American, are they going to be living there? Hmm. Because if they're not going to be living there, then is it a source of entertainment for the new hipsters that move in? You know, like, you know, <laughs> well, well, who, who was this painted for? Who is actually getting um, empowered by this? If the people group that you try to replicate and tell their story, they're actually not even going to be there in the near future. So, so these are questions, right? And like, we can go down rabbit holes or, you know, eventually we have to find a way to stop the questions and get some resolution. But it's really simple to just step back and say, how many people are in this conversation? Yeah. How many, how many people, you know, it, it's interesting that something like you said, it can divide or it can, you know, unite. But when we're talking about community and building community through the arts, it's very difficult to do that when you're disconnected from the community that you claim that you serve. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many organizations that are considered art-based and the idea the mission statement is always, you know, people are in the forefront and we care about people and, you know, all of these IRS tax statements, mission statements that make, you know, tax giving, tax exempt giving, yeah. charitable donations, it makes it seem very alluring. But then when you look at how the mission is carried out, where are the people when it comes to the power and the you know decision making, right? Far few between. It's usually a core group, a handful of people that are power holders that dictate how that happens. And so how can we do it better? Sharing that power, being willing to step back and say, you know, for whatever reason, we're not it's not accusatory. We're not gonna say who did it, how they did it, but now we know it's broken. Mm. The jig is up, right? Like we all know it's broken. <laughs> and so share that power. And not in a way that you have to walk in and, you know, we're not, it's not a white savior thing. You know, we're not looking for people to come fix it. It's more like we understand that this is, there's systemic issues, there are deeply rooted issues. It did not happen overnight. It's not going to change overnight, but it doesn't have to take another hundred years for us to yeah. see some progress. There are some simple tasks, just something as simple as for gatekeeping, change up the panel. Yep. Just something simple like that. Next time you have RFP, the same people been on the panel for the last two, three, four, five years, and they keep picking their friends and their cousins and the people go to church with them. And, you know, the same old people over and over again, the people that you see, you know, maybe even on that map. I don't know. I guess you got to go <laughs> explore and look. Um, but if it's the same, change it up, diversify that panel, maybe even step away, you know, for whatever reason and be vulnerable and say, I don't know where to begin, but I can hire someone in, you know, I can have a consultant come and help me. Um, someone that, understands diversity and inclusion far beyond textbook, right? Like just not someone that went and got the degree, but someone that understands the lived experiences and has no problem jumping into the situation to try to help, to lessen the harm, to understand that they didn't create the harm, but they're willing to walk with you through this, call community living, you know, working, co-creating co together. Um, that requires a level of humility a lot of leaders don't have. Yeah. They would rather, you know, drive, drive it off a cliff or, you know, the, the, the boat is sinking 
and everyone's like, the water level's getting a little high now. And they would rather just keep saying, well, I'm just going to do business as usual. They would rather sink than to say, can you help me swim? Can you teach me something? You know, teachable moments are typically for someone that's subjugate, right? And your subordinates, we teach them, you know, we, we surveillance them. Mm. We ask them, you know, to do the surveys and, and we research them. We make them case studies. But when you flip it and you realize power holders have now been in the forefront of the case study. Now we're looking at you. It feels mm-hmm. a little uncomfortable. Um, it, it's just this is something that I'm not used to and I don't understand, you know, <laughs> but it's needed. Yeah, really. It's truly needed in hiring practices. We're talking about the racial wealth gap. Well, that's great. And we're, we're we're getting towards the end of our time. And I did want to talk a little bit about. Uh, or hear your perspective on uh, community research and, and sort of deconstructing the usual way research is done, this institutionalized research. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how folks can support community research? Community research can be supported in many ways. I mean, one support, obviously, is economic. There's funding available, course grants, and things of that nature for those that want to donate to trusted partners, right? Trusted. That's the the ones that you don't know about, but something that you trust and you believe in, that's always a way to support financially. But outside of that financial support, center yourself in, in the conversation in any way possible, right? So like if you want to, to engage in community research, get that first step, you know, get your feet wet, be willing to get uncomfortable, right? And, and engage in something very simple. Think of an op. A problem in your community. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care none of that. Whatever it is, think about something that matters to you, that you are impacted by. Someone that close to you, they're impacted by. And then begin to just dig. Try to find that resolution. And then when you find something that's similar to, not necessarily perfect, but a better resolve, have enough courage to say, hey, I got, I got something to provide. I have something to offer. And that means that you have to be power holders, right? People that are having historically making sure that your voice wasn't heard. Now you have to have that brave face to you know, speak up and, and try to move things forward. That's one way that you can support. Another way is to share, of course, obviously share information. Uh, when you know better, you do better. How many know better but don't share, right? They, they take it and they coddle it for themselves. Organizations that can help each other, right? Maybe one nonprofit knows something that can help another, but will you give that information? It can help Louisville as a whole, but it makes you look good. So you hold that information hostage and everybody else over is struggling. They're getting people from all over the nation and hiring in consultants when you've got the keys. You've got the answer, but you don't want to share. Come on now, these are basic principles that we learned early on in elementary. Let's just share, sharing is caring, right? Like these basic steps that we can take to help support community research financially, get involved, get engaged, uplift your voice, lift up people's voices. You know, don't necessarily see, like even when I spoke to you, Justin, moving forward, and I tell everyone that contacts me, all the media outlets, it's great. Thank you for allowing me to come. I appreciate it. It's wonderful. But if I don't ever come back again, find somebody else. Like I want other people to be engaged and it's really easy for someone to say, well, I'll talk, give me a chance. And I don't want to know. There's, thousands of people I would say that are probably readily available. Yeah. And then there's hundreds of thousands of people you haven't even met yet. Oh my God. But they are willing to support you. They're willing to engage. They are willing to be the catalyst that the city needs. 
we don't even know who they are. That's right. And honestly, a couple of months ago, y'all didn't know who I was. That's right. Let's just let's let that sink in, right? So I'm cool. I'm really cool <laughs> with people wanting to take that leap and understanding that that leap doesn't mean that they just jump and they don't bring anybody else with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the more, the merrier, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are ways to engage and support community uh, research. What about your thoughts on how our listeners can support racially identified minority artists? To understand that they don't have to necessarily speak through the Eurocentric view, mm. right? And so the article just recently released uh, Reclaiming Research with Time. And so I discussed in that particular article how easy it is for people to think that if it's not institutionalized, then it's not valid. Right. So, like, I have to speak a particular way. I need some qualitative, quantitative data. I need to do scientific research for it to be true research, right? <laughs> Even the way that it's communicated. There's so many ways that you can poetically, you know, you can use creative expressions that will reach people far quicker. Oh, yeah. It's more digestible, right? It's, it's very tangible. Now, art can do that. And that's the power, I believe, that art holds in, in other sectors, not necessarily that they don't have it, but it's more tangible. And that's why people go to art museums but don't even speak art, right? They don't understand the language. Sometimes, heck, I'm an artist. I don't even understand what's going on. I'm going to tell you front up. And most people are not going to tell you, you know, it's a humility thing, but I'm good. I'm secure. I'll tell you. It's not even about that because it's open to for interpretation. The reality is art brings people yeah. from all backdrops from all walks of life, from all, you know, socioeconomic, uh, just name it, right? Diversity happens when art happens. So when people want to ner- learn about a particular topic, maybe they're not going to read a hundred page report. Right. <laughs> maybe they're just not going to do that. They're not going to go to maybe a government website and look at maps and then they have to go look at the next map. And <laughs> well, if you overlay this, you got this heat map. And so now you have to teach yourself how to, read to it, understand yeah. mm-hmm. the data mm-hmm. that should be tangibly available for community members that it actually impacts. Yeah. So, right. So when you go to the story map, um, yes, I'm showing art on a map, but then it's overlaid with some of the development that's going on. And so you understand like, well, there's certain pockets of the city and it's kind of coincidental that these certain pockets of the city <laughs> have a precursor of art. And then the next thing you know, there's development. Well, maybe there's a relationship. Uh, anyone can look at that. You know, a child can look at that and say, well, there's a correlation. Yep. One thing doesn't belong to something different than the other. Like you can see <laughs> clearly that there is something there. And so that that simply is a way that art communicates and it connects with everyone. Absolutely. And I believe that that is something that has been missing historically from research is the ability to interpret it. And, and put people in the forefront and use the language that they speak. Well, Marlisha Woods, this has been a fantastic conversation, and I know we're just scratching the surface on this mural. I mean, there's so much more to talk about, but we, we've we got to let you go. Will you tell our listeners what's up, up next for you, and how can people get connected with you online? Well, um, you can connect with me at Marlisha Art. I think that's the easiest way. Uh, as stated, I'm an interdisciplinary artist. I'm a visual artist, teaching artist, writer, community researcher, and a lot of other things. So if you go to at Marlisha Art, there's a link tree, and you can look at articles and different things that I'm engaged in. Yeah. Um, recently, I am launching an online um, art gallery, and so that's going to be really unique. Oh, wow. I've been connecting with some people in the state and out of the state, you know, nationwide. 
And so um, my goal is to have more access to art, art making, uh, the resources that art um, has to offer for communities and not have so many barriers. And so that's one of the reasons why I've launched that. Um, and so it's focused on creating narratives, um, uplifting narratives that are often lost. And so it's Elzano Storytelling Gallery. It's named after my grandmother, um, Elzarine, and she would have been 95 this year. And the O is for my aunt, and she would have been 105. Oh. And so I said, if, the, if there's a year to, to launch it, we'll go ahead and just lift it in their name um, this year. So that's what, what I will be doing in the near future is developing that, you know, engaging with people from all over the nation and outside of the, the country. Well, that's wonderful. And again, I'll include links to all of this in the podcast version of this program under the program description. It has been such a pleasure getting to know you, Marlisha Woods. Thank you for taking the time for joining us today here on Sustainability Now. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Stay tuned, everyone. Coming up in just a minute, your community action calendar with all kinds of ways for you to get engaged in sustainability this week here on Sustainability Now. Stay tuned, my friends. Guadira, Guantanamera, Guantanamera, Guadira, Guantanamera. Yo soy un hombre sincero, de donde crece la palma. Yo soy un hombre sincero, de donde crece la palma. Y antes de morir me quiero. And we're back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, on your community radio station, Forward Radio. We are 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. Well, let's get our pencils sharpened and our calendars out because it is a busy, busy week for sustainability, my friends. On Tuesday, April 13th at 1 p.m., the University of Louisville Grawmeyer Award Lecture for Global Environmental Governance will be taking place. The 2021 Grawmeyer Award winner for Ideas Improving World Order is Ken Konka, and he'll be giving a talk on his award-winning idea, An Unfinished Foundation, the United Nations and Global Environmental Governments. The UN must rethink its approach to environmental problems. It can tackle global environmental challenges far more effectively by incorporating two overlooked parts of its mandate, human rights and peace into these efforts. So says Ken Konka, an American University International Relations professor. There will be a Q&A with the winner after the talk, and you can find the link to register for this Tuesday, April 13th, 1 p.m. online program at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Also on Tuesday the 13th, but in the evening starting at 5.30, it's the Food in Neighborhoods Roundtable. How can we address the food apartheid in Louisville? As more people awaken to the systemic problems of food insecurity, racism, economic injustice, and environmental destruction, we awaken also to the power we can build when we link our struggles and build towards common goals. Louisville's Food and Neighborhoods Community Coalition, a proud Ford Radio community partner through the Urban Ag Coalition, works to strengthen the local food system through urban ag, community land access, and policy policy advocacy. 
At this community roundtable, they hope to collaborate with you to distill a clear and bold vision for transforming Louisville's food system. Please join us in envisioning strategies around food and agriculture that can help build a more equitable, just, and sustainable Louisville. You heard about it here on Truth to Power this past week, so you can RSVP now at foodinneighborhoods.org. And again, it's Tuesday the 13th, 5.30 to 7 p.m. on Zoom. Also want to let you know about an action alert. You can act now to participate in the Kentucky Public Service Commission's public hearings taking place on April 14th, 15th, and 20th for the LG&E Jim Beam Bullet County Natural Gas Pipeline. Friends of Cedar Grove are urging concerned citizens to submit public comments to the Public Service Commission, formal public hearing on the commission's invalid and illegal approval of the Certificate of Public Conveyance and Necessity, and for LG&E Jim Beam Bullet County Natural Gas Pipeline. You can send your comments via email or register now to have five minutes to speak during the formal public hearing. As we've covered previously on Forward Radio, it is clear that this pipeline was proposed and planned solely for Jim Beam Suntory and not for the public good. Jim Beam did not want to pay the estimated $25 million for construction of the pipeline and hatched a plan to have Kentucky ratepayers pay for it. Officials also failed to consider alternative routes that had been studied and selected a route instead that was not studied and which illegally crosses through and or impacts natural areas, federal designated critical habitat and species, state exceptional waters, and listed impaired waterways. The Kentucky Public Service Commission will conduct three virtual public meetings to provide information on and receive public comments regarding lg and KU rate cases. Each session will begin with a brief overview from Public Service Commission staff on the key elements in the case, followed by public comments. These public meetings will be Wednesday, April 14th at 1 p.m., Thursday the 15th at 5 p.m., and Tuesday the 20th at 5 p.m. You can register to speak or submit comments via either email or phone. You can see all the details on how to do this at psc.ky.gov home slash pm for public meeting again all the details about the public meetings coming up where you can comment about the jim beam bullet county natural gas pipeline being proposed as well as the rate cases uh, and the un- unjust increasing of our utility rates at psc.ky.gov home slash pm Now, coming up on Wednesday the 14th at 6 p.m., there'll be an environmental justice town hall put on by the Kentucky Youth Climate Strike. We're going to be hosting it all via Zoom on Wednesday the 14th from 6 to 7.15 p.m. You'll get to hear stories and solutions from youth leaders from across the state on what a just transition could look like and mean for Kentuckians. They'll also be discussing the growth of community organizing efforts virtually and providing ways for you to plug in. Bring friends and come with questions. The town hall will be led by two phenomenal moderators, former guest on this show, Robert Bell, as well as Shemika Parrish-Wright, and featured dynamic panelists Bailey Omberge, Soliana Mesfin, Emma Anderson, and Pedro Sanchez. They will be having down-to-earth conversations on environmental justice and exploring steps we can take right now. Anyone can attend, regardless of where you live or your age. So to find the link to get registered for this great town hall coming up on Wednesday at 6 p.m., you can go to facebook.com slash cultivating connections. 
and you'll find the link there to the Zoom sign up, facebook.com slash cultivating connections. All right, coming up on Thursday the 15th at noon, it is the third Thursday forum presented by the Fellowship of Reconciliation and Sowers of Justice Network, proud Forward Radio community partners. The featured speaker this month will be the amazing former guest on this program, Representative Charles Booker. It is at noon on Thursday the 15th, and it will feature this former representative from Louisville's West End to the Kentucky General Assembly speaking on Hood to the Holler, a grassroots advocacy program that he founded, which brings Kentuckians together from cities and rural areas to find common ground in issues that matter most to people. The organization is now working to restore voting rights, advocate for legislation, and train a new generation of values-driven politics. The program will be offered virtually on Zoom and live stream on the Sowers of Justice Facebook page, where you can find a link to register. Just go to facebook.com slash S-O-J-N-L-O-U. That's Sowers of Justice Network, Lou, uh, S-O-J-N, Lou. A recording will also be broadcast right here on Forward Radio, but join us live on Thursday the 15th at noon. Now, I also want to let you know that coming up this weekend and starting actually on Thursday the 15th, there's going to be several land development code reform open houses. Please safely join us for an opportunity to learn more about the ongoing land development code reform. The Land Development Code is a lengthy, complex document that has a tremendous impact on our community. The reform process aims to identify and confront policies that have inequitable consequences on Louisville residents. There will be some in-person events where masks are required, and along with physical distancing, and temperatures will be taken upon arrival. This is all being put on by Louisville Metro Planning and design services and it starts in person on thursday the 15th from 6 to 8 p.m at the out at the norton commons amphitheater that's 10,920 meeting street and that is thursday the 15th at 6 p.m at the norton commons amphitheater then the virtual event takes place friday the 16th from 11:30 a.m to 1:30 p.m it's a webex virtual meeting platform uh, so you will need to go to webex.com and click join a meeting and enter the following event id get your pencils out my friends 160 217 70 76 and the password is open house 416 that's 160 217 7076 password open house 416 at webex.com for the friday april 16th 11:30 a.m. virtual meeting about the land development reform code reform and then the open houses continue this weekend in person on saturday the 17th from 10 a.m to noon at shawnee park pavilion building three out in lovely shawnee park at 10 a.m on the 17th and it ends in person at 2 p.m on the 17th over at the iroquois iroquois park playground area so two opportunities on saturday for in-person open houses about land development code reform uh, saturday the 17th at 10 a.m in the shawnee park pavilion and then Saturday the 17th at 2 p.m. in the Iroquois Park Playground area. And you can find out more at louisvilleky.gov. Friday the 16th 
at 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., there's going to be an Arbor Day tree planting out at Champions Park, the Dog Run, 2700 River Road. You need to register in advance for this. Metro Parks will be hosting this Arbor Day tree planting on Friday the 16th at Champions Park, and they're looking for volunteers. They'll be limiting the event to three teams of 10 people and staggering start times to allow for physical distancing. Volunteers must pre-register. You must wear a face mask, and you must practice physical distancing and follow COVID-19 protocols while on site. So you can sign up to volunteer for the Friday, April 16th, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. tree planting out at Champions Park at tinyurl.com slash tree champion. Also on Friday at 11 a.m. online, it is the final UofL Sustainability Roundtable on Emergency Food Assistance Centers. Everyone is encouraged to join us for the last spring Sustainability Roundtable on April 16th when we will be in conversation with UofL Masters in Sustainability student Sarah Becknell. Sarah will be completing her degree this year and she'll be sharing with us her research on emergency food assistance centers in rural and urban communities in Kentucky. Sarah is a REACH graduate student assistant at UofL and received her bachelor's degree in ag and natural resources from Berea College back in 2018. Don't miss this opportunity to learn about efforts to address food insecurity throughout the Commonwealth. No registration is necessary and you can find the link to join this Friday 11 a.m. online event at lul.edu slash sustainability. Also coming up Saturday the 17th at 9 a.m., there will be another volunteer tree planting, this time in Old Louisville, and I'll be leading one of the teams. We're going to plant trees throughout Old Louisville, about 30 trees, a variety of locations, but we're all going to meet up at 9 a.m. on Saturday at the field just west of Cochrane Elementary School. That's about 1600 South 6th Street, right there at 6 in Goldbert. The Old Louisville Neighborhood Council and UofL Sustainability Council invite volunteers to help restore the urban canopy in our tree neighborhood. We'll be planting about 30 trees with our neighbors at locations scattered throughout the neighborhood. Volunteers should report to the central check-in site on the field west of Cochrane Elementary to be assigned to small, physically distanced tree planting teams. Donuts, coffee, and light breakfast items will be available prior to 9 a.m. when the work will begin. And a pizza lunch will be served for all volunteers after the trees are planted. All our welcome tools will be provided. Of course, you can bring some of your own. Masks and physical distancing are also required. In the case of rain, the event will be held on April 24th. And questions should be directed to Herb Fink at 502-552-0399. You can learn more about this tree planting coming up on Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon in Old Louisville at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Speaking of trees, Saturday the 17th at 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. is also the Trees Louisville giveaway happening at the Louisville Zoo, 1100 Trevilian Way. The zoo is hosting a tree giveaway with Trees Louisville. It will take place in the zoo's bus parking lot. Jefferson County residents can receive up to true trees. Varieties include sugar maple, redbud, American beech, tulip poplar, and a hybrid white oak and burr oak. First come, first serve, while supplies last. You can get more information at louisvillezoo.org, but show up at 10 a.m. on Saturday the 17th. Now, Sunday begins the Kentucky Interfaith Power and Lights film series on Engaging Spring. We got this. It'll be every Sunday, April 18th through May 9th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. The series will screen short films that inspire us to take action on the extraction industry in Kentucky. The free screenings on Sunday evenings 
will be followed by interfaith dialogue. And the series concludes with an advocacy event on May 9th to take collective action for change. It begins this Sunday, April 18th with Current Revolution. You can learn more and register at KentuckyIPL.org. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great week, and I will be back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Oh, oh, oh.